26, the prodigal has returned, or the elder brother, whichever you want to call me. For my Air Force people, I've been on TDY for a little bit down in Duncan. Uh, I have missed your smiling faces. I have missed all kinds of new faces. If you're new here today and you have no clue who I am, please do not leave our church on the basis of what you experienced today, okay? <laughs> do not judge this place upon me. I pray that you will not. It is good to be home. Um, my temporary assignment there is almost finished. I came back, though, because the Shelton kids promised me chocolate milk if I would return. Should be. There should be rivers overflowing of chocolate milk every time I come anywhere. And they did. They fulfilled their promise. There is chocolate milk in the fridge. I know how much there is. If you touch it, I will hunt you down. Okay? Hey, listen. Anytime I get a chance, I want to encourage our pastors. Um, I want to encourage us towards our pastors because they are good, solid young men growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want to encourage us in the Lord. It's old King James terminology, but the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so I want to do that today. Psalm 126. Brother Jordan, would you read that for us, please, sir? Absolutely. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, I pray that by your grace and your spirit that you would draw us into your word today, that you would help us to see that this is not only our history as your people, this is our story in this moment as your people. Settle my heart, settle my mind, allow me to move at a pace um, that gives your spirit room to work, allow me to say what you want me to say. Believe what you want me to believe. Rest in what you want me to rest in. Do what you want me to do. Pray that would be our story, our song this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If you think about the Psalms of Ascent, they're pretty much the playlist of the people of God. It's a good illustration, right? How many of you have a playlist? Okay. How many of you have a, like, I'm going home playlist, right? I need this like not just white noise, right? Some of you get in the car, you put on music because you can't stand the silence. Anybody? You need noise in the background, right? But sometimes you just need, like you don't need noise. You need something your heart can attach onto. So for me, I was coming home this week from Arkansas and that first little bit of drive from Arkansas, we had worked like 30 hours in two days and I was really struggling to stay awake, right? This is when you buy six Red Bulls and you turn up the music really loud. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But I have some songs. I can't just be any song, so I got to have some songs, right? So I got a little Willie Nelson in my playlist. Anybody? I got a little Snoop in my playlist. Anybody know who Snoop is? Some of you right now just lost a lot of respect for me, didn't you? Okay, but I'm a 90s child, so I have some 90s gangster rap in my playlist and it does take me back to a moment that just thrills my soul. And I have to, yes, I skip a lot of words. 
Half the song, actually, uh, sometimes I say them when nobody's listening. Um, but I just, reality is, I got a lot of Christian music in there, a lot of gospel music in there. But I just, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those kind of songs that just, they, they capture your heart, they take you to a moment, they take you to a place. That's what these Psalms of Ascent were for the people of God. They were the people of God singing the songs of God while they were on their way to worship God and on their way home. It was not just white noise. It was something to strengthen the soul as they were on this journey home. And I find so much that resonates in them, and I'm sure you do too. And I, I listened back over some of Pastor Nathan and Pastor Thomas's messages. Jordan's up next week. Uh, I was trying to kind of keep it along the same theme and the same style and the same rhythm that they have done. I won't do that. I just won't. We're just going to... Here's... Let's do this, okay? Let's walk through this text. Let's kind of get an understanding of what's actually happening here. And then let me draw your attention to a couple of things that I found very nourishing for my soul. So, a song of ascents, verse number one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. If you have something other than the ESV, you will probably have the word captive involved in that. Anybody have the word captive in your scripture there? Okay. The concept here is that this is when the Lord turned again, some scriptures read, the captivity of Israel. It means he brought them back from a place of bondage and of slavery and of captivity. And the, the history of the children of Israel is littered with slavery and bondage. Okay, So there are many chances that we could uh, kind of pick from, but this is likely their return from Babylonian captivity. And you can read about this probably if we're right. And this is a guess. It's a pretty educated guess, but it's a guess. Manny said he agreed, so I agree, right? You can read about this in Ezra chapter 1, right? The king of Persia, Cyrus, released the children of Israel. And, and, he, and what he does that's really neat is that the king of Persia attributed this to the Jehovah God of Israel. And he said, he's told me to build him a temple. So you guys, go home. You're free to go, right? And so he releases them. And when, when you read this, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about we've got to go home. We're home. We've been away for a long year, a long time. We've been away for 70 years, as a matter of fact. They have found themselves in bondage often, but for this one, they had spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity, and then the Persians took over. And so this was a very real release of the people of God to go home. And here's what they're saying. This is God's doing. We would not be free if it were not for God who made us free. We would not be home if God didn't allow us to go home. And so what they're saying here is this, is that God has freed us. Now, I want you, before we move on from this, I kind of want to think about their captivity for just a moment. Their captivity was their own fault. Can we say that, right? We can, it was their mess. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever made your own mess? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right? It wasn't like they stumbled into captivity, it was that they chose idolatry and rebellion, and the scriptures call it spiritual adultery. What happens is they chose self-rule over God's rule, and eventually that wore out, because that's what it does. Self-rule seems like a good thing, but it never holds up, okay? And so they chose this over and over and over again, and over and over and over again, God gave them chances to repent and to find and come back to him, and they just kept refusing, and so their own making, they went into captivity as a consequence of their action. And the reality is, and you, got, you have to hold this when you read the Old Testament. God did not push them into this fire of captivity to be consumed, but to be refined like gold is refined in the fire. 
He put them and allowed them to go into this, not to destroy them, but so that, listen, Quinn, where are you at? These kids make fun of my hand gestures every time, and now I'm seeing me do it, and I'm mad at you, Quinn. I'm mad at you right now, okay? Now you're going to see nothing but my hand gestures, okay? He didn't push them into this to destroy them or to consume this. This was part of his redemptive return of them to bring them back to himself. And so he put them in the fires of captivity to burn away the dross of their heart and their life. It's not only caused by them, it's exasperated by their captors. Now here's here's a reality that most of the people in this room don't have experience in. And I don't know that we have to have... I'm not the kind of guy who thinks everybody has to know my experience. Okay, you have yours, I have mine. And I think we can sympathize with one another even if I haven't traveled the same road that you've traveled. Okay, But these people had literally been in real captivity. Their bones, you know what I'm talking about? Did I do that? Felt this captivity. Like felt it, right? The scars on their back, perhaps felt this captivity. It's not like they just went away on a vacation for a while. Literally, they felt this. It was weighted in their bones, in their life. They had spent nights of weeping, of longing, of hoping, without immediate relief. For 70 years, they had sat in this. This was no light thing. This was no momentary affliction, right? This was real. And they had many people who were coming along and giving them false hopes and false influence. Uh, uh, just They were claiming that they were giving words from God that weren't words from God, and it was just a mess. This captivity was a real deal, and it was hard. And so here, now read this again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when he brought us back, the emphasis is not on we, what we suffered. The emphasis is on who brought us back. Sit in it, right? The emphasis is not what on we went through, though we went through it. The emphasis is on the fact that God brought us back. And there was no captivity that seemed like it was doable or possible or able to be accomplished. And for every time they found themselves there, God was greater than their captives. He was bigger than their mess. And he was able to redeem whatever they found themselves in. Isn't that beautiful? So now watch what happens as he goes on. We were like those who dream. It was too good to be true. You know what I'm talking about? Like dreams, like you woke up and you were like, man, if only that was real. That dream, like it was such a deep and profound experience that it felt like it wasn't even real. Like it was too good to be true. This is what he says. Listen how he describes it. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. The bliss was indescribable. What else would you do in moments of such liberation after long periods of sustained hurt and sorrow? The weeping had finally given way to the joy. And they cannot contain themselves. It's too good to be true. They shout songs of joy, indescribable bliss, joy uncontainable. The New Testament, joy unspeakable. Again, I quote King James because I read it so long. Joy unspeakable in what? Anybody know? Full of glory. It's an old song that we used to sing if you got all those kind of Baptist roots in you, right? Um, and this is what it was. It's just like we are those who dream. Notice what happens as he goes on. Then they said among the nations, those who weren't delivered, as they watched the people of God be delivered, they said that the Lord has done great things for them. It is Israel knew from their origin that the surrounding nations would know Jehovah, 
by the people of God. This is still, however, by the way that God works. The testimony of God's greatness, faithfulness, and beauty has always been presented and witnessed to by his people. It's the way he works, okay? And so that's what they're saying here. The nations paid attention. They saw it. They saw our redemption, our return, our joy, our singing, our laughter, our hearts overflowing with gratitude. And you know what they said? They said Jehovah did great things for them. It was without parallel their return. And the only thing that this could be ascribed to was God. Now, before we go on, I want you to think about this, okay? It was not that they missed the mess, the pain, the hurt, or the weeping that declared the beauty and goodness of God. It was what God did in the mess, what God did in the hurt, what God did in the pain, what God did in the waiting that declared his beauty and his greatness. So the nations are singing, the Lord has done great things for them. So now watch what happens in verse 3. The psalmist sings the same song as the nations do. So they say, the Lord has done great things for them. And he goes, yeah, you know what? He has done great things for us. And we are glad. I feel like that should be a bigger statement, right? We, kind of like you're building in this crescendo. Is that right? Okay, my musical son is proud of me right now. I just earned dad points. Okay, crescendo. And then it just goes, we are glad. But this is a rich, a deep, profound, internal gladness, right? We're here. We've arrived. And now watch what happened. This is, this is really cool. And I read this. I didn't like come up with this. Um, but notice that verse number three is present tense. We are glad. Everything before this statement is past tense. The Lord has done. The Lord has done. The Lord has done. Everything after this statement, we are glad, is future tense. Here's what Eugene Peterson says about this. He says, their joy is rooted in a recollection of the past, and it is nurtured by an anticipation of the future. Their joy builds on the past, and it borrows from the future. Do you see it, Quinn? Builds on the past and borrows from the future. Do you see my hand motions? Okay, I just want to make sure you catch them. Their lives are bordered by the memory of his work and the hope of his promises. I don't want to preach the sermon yet. I just want you to see the text. But you feel it, right? Their lives are bordered by the goodness of God on one side and the promise of God on the other. Verse number four, he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can find out what the Negev is. It is the southern region below Jerusalem. It was basically a barren and dry area. But they would get rains, and these rains would be so incredible and so powerful, pretty much like what we had last week, right? That They would flood these low spots so much that what was desert and dry and barren would fill with life and fruit and vegetation. And so what he's saying here is this, is he's saying, Lord, do this again. So now what you have to do is you have to kind of pay attention to what's happening here. The Lord has already done great things for us, but there's still more for you to do, Father. Okay? You with me? The captivity has been set free in verse number one. But verse number four asked him to complete it. The work isn't finished. When the children of Israel were released from Persian captivity, they had about 
Uh, I think it's like something like 900 miles to go before they could get home. It was a four-month journey. I was talking to some folks earlier about how long that journey would be today. Not four months, okay? Probably get there in a little while, right? But four months, they would have to travel by foot following a river to get back to their homeland and to restart, okay? They had new challenges now. Yes, they were out of Babylonian captivity and Persian captivity, but they had to rebuild the temple and rebuild their city. They had to plant new fields and harvest new food. And there were new hardships, new challenges. There was still work to be done. And so what he's saying here is this. He's saying, Lord, it's not over yet. Not all of your people are home. Keep going. You know it's okay to ask the Lord that? The Lord does great things for us, and it's okay to ask him to keep doing that. It's really okay to ask God to be God. He's comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't have skin. Don't quote me on that, okay? I don't think, right? I, I digress. A lot of philosophical things I don't really know. Their joy didn't mean this waiting or this work was over. There was still much to be done. There was still much for God to do is what verse 4 is about. Verse 5 and 6, there's still much for them to do. So restoring the fortunes in verse 4 is only what God can do. Verse 5 and 6 is about sowing and reaping, and that's what we do. See it? Those who sow in tears, which is exactly what they're doing in this moment. They're rebuilding. They're replanting. It's hard work. There are many challenges. There's, there's a lot of waiting. I'm not a farmer. Wouldn't make it as one. But it's not immediate results. And you think about you're holding your livelihood in a seed, and you're hoping that it works out. And you're planting into the ground and you have no, I mean, you can help it, right? You can nourish the environment. You can do the things, but you don't really have a say in what happens. It's beyond your control. And here's, here's the point of verses five and six. I want you to pay attention in verse number five. They shall reap with shouts of joy. Verse number six, they shall come home with shouts of joy. The point is this is that one day this weeping, one day this waiting, one day this hurting, one day this hardship will give way to absolute full joy. The word shall there, right, sounds like a really old word, but it's a good word because it emphasizes the certainty. And what he's saying here is this is encouragement to these returning exiles, that, that hope this hope of, of, of joy coming would, would animate their hearts and their minds for the work that was in front of them. That no matter how hard the work was or how intense the toil was or how great the hardship was, no matter how heavy their heart got or how long the work lasted, the joy is coming. That's the point. Joy is coming. Another psalm says that weeping endures for a night. You can quote the rest, right? But joy comes in the morning. It doesn't last forever. Yes, it hurts, but it won't always last forever. Their joy didn't mean that the work was over. It didn't mean that their waiting was finished. It didn't mean that their tears were done. At least not yet. But the past work of God and the faithful promises of God meant that joy unspeakable and full of glory was possible now. You see it? And keep sowing. Because joy is coming. Keep sowing in faith. Because the harvest will be untold joy. Now, I want to give you some things that I think are fruitful for us. If 
our Afghan brothers and sisters were to invite us over to their house, and they were to feed us a traditional Afghan meal. How many of you would know exactly what to do in that moment? Okay, Quinn says he would. A couple of you would. I would have no clue, right? I wouldn't know what goes on what side of the plate, what goes on top of what side. I know most things go on top of rice. I think that's true, right? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go, and I'm, and I'm trying to kind of stab my friend a little bit while I'm doing it, okay? Um, but I have to do this like on regular meals. Like when my family cooks, when Isaiah cooks, I have to ask, he has to give me instructions on what to do with the food, okay? And it's not because I don't know how to eat. That was, that was a little bit too intense. That was a little bit too real. That hurt, that hurt my feelings. She was like, amen, brother. You do know how to eat. You really know how to eat. I'm going to forgive you for that one. But you only get one forgiveness a day. Um, but like, I don't always know how the pieces go together, right? And you can sit in this psalm, and you should sit in this psalm. Psalms are not meant to be rushed through. They're meant to be read repeatedly over and over and over again. They're supposed to be that slow drip coffee, not that Keurig coffee. You know what I'm talking about? A slow drip meditating in our soul. But I want to give you some things, and these aren't the way that you have to feed on this meal. These are some things that I have found helpful for my own soul. Here's, here's kind of the first one. I, I want to phrase it like this. The tension is real. This psalm mingles things that I wish weren't mingled. Hurt and hope. Tears and joy. Waiting and laughter. And what is reality in my life is this, is I've never been able to escape the one. They've always been ever-present. Like when you think you've arrived, right? You think you've got it. Like all my ducks are in a row. Some of you are of the Facebook meme or Twitter meme or whatever meme it is that you don't have ducks, you have squirrels, and you don't even know where they come from kind of stuff. But when you, like when you hit that moment, right, you feel like, okay, I finally got there. And then something else hits you. The reality is this, is that we can't live in this way that escapes this pain. There is this reality that hardship and discouragement coexist alongside of joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is what life is. It's never either or, it's always both. My joy has never excluded my weeping. And my weeping has never excluded my joy. You know what I'm saying? Laughter doesn't mean that there is no waiting. Shouts of joy do not eradicate the work that still needs to be done. This is life. Joy and hurt coexist, and this tension exists in life. And here's what I want to do. This is my default response, okay? When I feel this tension, I either want to escape it, or I want to answer it. You know what I'm talking about? I want to say, why? Why does this happen? And listen, I know there's the atheist argument out there. I don't know that Maybe there are some, and if you are here, praise God that you're here. But most of us in this room aren't atheists. Most of us are just trying to follow Jesus the best that we can. But here's the reality. Even for people who are trying to follow Jesus the best that we can, every now and then life punches you so hard in the face that you're trying to figure out, why in the world did this happen to me? Why? How can this great, beautiful, glorious God exist? And how can this pain be so real and unmanageable? And the biblical authors, what they do is they wrestle with the same question. They don't run from it. They don't hide from it. But here's what they don't do. They never answer it. 
They ask it, but they don't answer it. You know what they do? They accept it. This is reality. This is the good and gracious hand of God. Yes, life hurts. Yes, life is good. And God is great in both. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, said the man who lost everything. Right? And so this tension is real. It is absolutely real. It is profoundly real. And one of the problems we get is when we try to escape it, it only tightens the grip of the tension. I think perhaps the only way to deal with this is to accept it. To accept the tension, to live in the reality that life is still hard. Moments are difficult. Sometimes it feels like more than one can take, but he is still good because his goodness is not based upon my experience or my understanding of his goodness. It is completely and totally and absolutely independent of me. Accepting it as the good work of his gracious heart is the only way that this tension is resolved. If you look throughout history, God has displayed his beauty and grandeur more often by intervention than by prevention. Now let's just shake our heads for a moment. The Lord has kept you from some stuff, right? The Lord has kept you from some stuff, right? I'm riding in the car with Micah the other day. There's a reason why parents don't ride with their kids when they learn to drive. You know what I'm talking about? Micah pulls out into the middle of the intersection and goes, you know what? As serious as he could be. He's not making a joke. There's still some things that I don't know about driving. <laughs> it's a great time to tell me. <laughs> my 20-year-old son, who has my life in his hands, <laughs> goes, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm just like, Maybe we should have talked about this before we got in the car, right? So the Lord has kept us from some stuff. But one of the major ways that the Lord works is not by keeping us from stuff, but by stepping into our stuff. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God stepping into our stuff. That's what it is. It is God stepping into, not keeping us, but stepping into our mess. Old Scottish theologian said that the only way that God could vindicate himself in a world that is messed up as this mess is by stepping into it and fully taking it upon himself. And that's what Jesus did. Not by keeping us from it, though he might, and praise God when he does, but if you're in it, the tension is never bigger or greater or stronger than him. So I find the tension is real. I find that their practice is helpful. I don't have really time to do this, but um, the Psalms aren't formulas for living a better life, but they do give us ways to do that. They do. There's no commands in this. We're not told to do anything in this text, but if you pay attention to what the psalmist is doing, he's doing two things. He's fixing his mind and heart on God, and he's asking God to do something. Fixing his mind and heart, because you can't control the joys and the pains, right? Most of life happens to us. A lot of things beyond our control. One thing I can control is what I fix my mind on and fix my heart on. 
And the psalmist here is focusing rather on the captivity. He's focusing on the goodness and preciousness of God. You want to know what you do when life hurts? You fix your mind on something that's better than the hurt. You fix your heart on it. And you ask him like you ask him. like you. T- this sounds too easy. It sounds too easy. And what I did was I practiced it for a week. Okay, anytime. And I didn't do it without fail, but I practiced it for a week. I was like, okay, whenever it comes up in my heart, in my mind, when I'm worried about it, when I'm thinking about it, when I'm stressing over it, I know I'm the only one who obsesses over anything. But when it's in my mind, I'm just going to talk to him about it right then, right there. While I'm driving, that dude cut me off, Lord, and I'm angry. I honked three times on the way behind a guy up here today. I hope you're not in this room. That's what I was really worried about. I was like, I just honked at them three times, and they're going to show up at Grace Harbor, and they're going to see me in the pulpit, and they're going to go, that dude doesn't love Jesus at all. Um, I love Jesus. My foot just hasn't been saved yet, okay? Um, I, like, I stress over this. And so what I would do in that moment is i just talk to him. Listen, Lord, my heart is rattled right now. It is unnecessarily rattled right now. I don't even know, where, I do know where this comes from, but I need you to help me because I just, this is who I am and I need your redemptive reign at work in my heart. And I, listen, it lasted for a solid week till life punched me so hard in the face that I got disoriented and forgot what I was doing. But there is something profound, I know this is gonna sound too simple, there's something profound about just casting your cares upon him who cares for you. There's just something profound in it. So I find the tension is real. I find their practice is helpful. Let me leave you on this. I find the joy is coming. This psalm is prophetic, at least to some degree. I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. But when Jesus comes on the scene, in Luke chapter 4, he picks up the scriptures in the reading at the temple And he reads a text that says that the Messiah will proclaim liberty to the captives. He closes the scripture. He sets it down. And he says, this day, that scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Let me give you another way to say it. Jesus is saying, I am him. I'm that guy. I'm here to liberate captives. What kind of captives? The New Testament goes on to explain that we are in bondage to sin. And that there is no way that we break these chains. There is no way that we free ourselves. There is no strength, no work, no method, no means of breaking free ourselves until our Redeemer, our Savior, came in and fully absorbed our punishment, our guilt, our penalty, and took it upon himself and now offers freedom to all who were bound by sin. This is what he does, okay? And the reality is that that work has started, but that work is not fully complete just yet. But it will be. It will be. And the sowing in tears, just sit in it for a moment, will one day literally break forth and give way to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Have you ever been so happy your mouth was stopped, stunned, silent? I don't have words for this. But what if, just what if, we gaze upon the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ and I forget every hurt that ever hurt? Like, I still remember, right? I still remember hurt. 
But what if in that moment and I gaze upon him and he gazes back at me with eyes that bled for me? And what if that so enraptures my soul that every chain that once captivated my heart is no more? What if joy unspeakable and full of glory is real? And what if it is coming? Sorry, I yelled. Three cups of coffee. Tell you something about the Psalms of Ascent. They are not just our history as the people of God. They are our story. You and I right now can say the Lord has done great things for us. And because he has done great things for us, you and I can say we are glad. And because the Lord has done great things for us, the Lord will still do great things for us. There is more work to be done. But I tell you this, that those who sow in tears will one day reap in joy. Joy is coming, people of God. Let's get started early. Stand with me. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. <clears throat> Father, would you bless the reading of your word? Give us more than just a desire to understand it and to know it. Give us wisdom and grace to live it, to practice it. Father, when the tension is hard and real, as it often gets, allow us to rest in your goodness. Your goodness that is more real than the tension ever has been. Your goodness that is independent of everything that I am, everything that I do, and everything that I experience. May our rest and our joy be anchored not in what we feel or what we think, but in who you are. That is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Thank you, Father, for giving us this in your Son. We ask it in his name. Amen.